The text this morning, if you want to turn there, is Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 51 this morning. Let's read the word of God together. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And his disciples James and John saw it. They said, Lord, do you want us to tell, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. In the book of Luke, this chapter, chapter 9, the pastor Ron just, just read out of, it's a turning point for Jesus' ministry. This is, this is best summed up in, in the verses that Pastor Ron read from, from verse 51. It says that Jesus, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. That really sums it up best, but we, we see it in a number of places in chapter 9 where Jesus' focus turns, where, where chapter 9, in the whole book of Luke, in chapter 9, there's a swivel that begins to happen. And Jesus' ministry begins to change, and he becomes a little bit more focused and a little more laser-like towards the end, and it's summed up there. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. He points at it, though, in a couple other places in chapter 9. You can look in, in verse 22. He says, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and on the third day he'll be raised. He says it in verse 44 of chapter 9. He says, let these words sink into your ears, he says to the disciples. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. And then in verse 45 it says, they didn't understand what he was saying. It was a bit and was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it and they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Jesus' face is shifting and setting towards Jerusalem. His ministry is changing and everyone begins to feel it. Jesus sets his face to Jerusalem and the disciples, they see it. They sense it. In fact, just in chapter 9, here in Luke chapter 9, we see these things that have begun to happen. In, in the verse, verses in 10 through 17, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. You know that story that he takes the bread and the loaves and feeds 5,000. Um, a little bit later, Jesus uh, is confessed to be Christ by Peter. And, and they say, who, who do you, Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Peter replies, you, you are Christ, the Lord. And in fact, in, in John, it says that, that Jesus says, on that claim, on that 
he will build his kingdom. That, that happens there in chapter 9 of the book of Luke. Jesus also is transfigured in the chapter 9 in the book of Luke. That he, he goes to the top of the mountaintop with, with Peter, James, and John and, and is visited by Moses and Elijah and, and his whole being is transfigured and becomes like it was originally or like it will be in heaven. And Peter and James and John get a, a picture of that, a glimpse of that. All of these things happen and the disciples, they hear it, they feel it, it's building. Jesus' focus is a little bit different and things are beginning to turn and they, they feel it. They sense it. They can see that something's coming and they have a whole different expectation than Jesus does, but they can feel it coming and building and they become emboldened is really the best way to talk about it. They be just right here in chapter nine of Luke, they become emboldened. In fact, in verse 46, they begin to argue together. They say, which one of us is the greatest? If, if this, if this whole thing is turning and we're going to head to Jerusalem and we're going to come in and become a reigning king, we want to head, we want to know where our place is. We want to, we want to kind of have things divvied up so that we know where we fall in line. Everything is turning and they feel it. They not only are arguing about who's the greatest, but, but then in verse 49 of chapter 9, they're even beginning to, to kind of want to, want to make an exclusivity to the club. They want to know who's, who's in and who's out. And so they say, these, these guys aren't, aren't with us. What should we do? We told them to stop. They're not, they're, and Jesus says, if they're not against us, they're for us. The disciples can feel this whole thing turning. And Jesus' ministry is becoming much more focused. They see it, they feel it, and they know in their hearts that Jesus is headed to Jerusalem to be king. That he's finally going to take his spot. He's finally going to take control. He's going to head into the, to the ruling city, to the capital city, and he's going to reestablish his place on the throne. He's going to take on the leaders of the church, the Pharisees. He's going to take on the leaders of, the, of that community in Jerusalem. He's, gonna, he's even going to take on Rome. Jesus is the promised Messiah. He is the king, and he's headed to Jerusalem. That's the feeling of the disciples. Something big is about to happen. Jesus is going to be king. But that's not what Jesus sees when he sets his face towards Jerusalem. Jesus doesn't see kingship Jesus sees death. If you turn a few pages over to chapter 18 in the book of Luke, it says this in chapter 18, verse 31, it begins. Taking the twelve with him, Jesus says to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that's written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and shamefully treated, and spit upon, and after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Jesus, he knows. He knows what's coming. He sees it. The disciples, they expect a king. They're longing to go in and for Jesus to establish his throne and for them to have their places in the king's cabinet, in the king's group, in the advisor's. They're ready. They're ready to go. And Jesus sets his face and sees exactly what will come to be. He sees death. 
He sets his face towards unspeakable suffering. He knows exactly what's coming. It's no secret to him. And while he's willing, he... I don't even know what word to use here. He doesn't, he doesn't, he, he, he's willing to go, but he's not excited. I, I want to say he dreads it, but that's not quite the right word. But he's not excited about it. In fact, again, in, in Luke chapter 22, you can see this is the night before Jesus is, or the night that Jesus is betrayed, the night before he's killed. In Luke 22, it says that Jesus withdraws a stone's throw away. He knelt down and prayed. And in verse 42 says, Father, if you're willing, Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus knows exactly what's coming. And Jesus sets his face. He's willing to go. But he doesn't go excitedly. He doesn't go with, with great anticipation of the great things that are going to happen. He knows what's coming. And in fact, the very night before it happens, he says, he says, God, I, 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 if there's any other way, if there's any other way for this to happen, if there's any other way for this plan to come to fruition, please let's find another way. Take this cup from me if that's possible. And if it's not, if this is the way, if this is the perfect plan, if this is your will, then strengthen me. Your will be done. And an angel comes and he is in great agony, Scripture tells us. Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem, knowing exactly what's coming. Jesus, Jesus lived life just like you and I. Jesus had brothers, a sister, mother. He had places where he liked to go. He had friends that he had around him. Jesus did not go to that night before in the, in the, on the Mount of Olives and say, I'm so anxious to go to this next step. He enjoyed life on earth and he did not long to go through what happened on that Friday. But he was willing and more than willing, he was set. He was determined. He was resolute about it. He also didn't go, and this is important to note, that Jesus also didn't go um, out, of, out of just involuntary happenstance. And I think we can all get on board with that, but sometimes I think we have to, to remember that, that there wasn't this spiral of, there wasn't this, 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 Events that came and began to spiral out of control and all of a sudden at the end of the week, Jesus is crucified. It's not that at all. In fact, one commentator says, if we're to look at Jesus' death merely as a result of a betrayer's deceit, of the Sanhedrin's envy, and of Pilate's spinelessness and the soldier's nail and spear, it might seem very involuntary. The benefit of salvation that comes to us who believe from this death might be viewed as God's way of making a virtue out of a necessity. But once we read this in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, that Jesus is set on Jerusalem, 
all such thoughts vanish for us. Jesus is not accidentally entangled in a web of injustice. The saving benefits of his death for sinners are not an afterthought. God planned it all out in infinite love to sinners like us and appointed a time. Jesus, who was the very embodiment of this Father's love for sinners, saw that the time had come and he set his face to fulfill his mission, to die in Jerusalem for our sake. As he said in John chapter 10, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down in my own accord. Jesus is on a mission. Not a mission to become king. Not a mission to take over the throne in Jerusalem. Jesus is on a mission not of judgment and final authority. Jesus is on a mission of sacrifice. And he sets his face to go to Jerusalem. And right away, as that happens, we see that the idea that the disciples have of, of going so that they can, they can make a righteous judgment and finally the right king will become on the throne and will we'll cast out the Romans and will put the Messiah in charge, that feeling and that thought, and Jesus is set my face to go to sacrifice, those two ideas begin to conflict immediately right here at the end of chapter 9. The disciples are emboldened. They're ready to go. Jesus is, sets his face to go to become a sacrifice for us. And those ideas hit heads. We read it in, in verse 53. The people didn't receive him as the disciples go forward. The people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. James and John, the, the sons of thunder, if you know that, they, they, and they exemplify it here. They say, someone is rejecting you. Jesus, you, your, your face is turned. You're set. Our mission is, we're, we're headed to Jerusalem. We see this laser focus coming, and we're going to go, and we're going to establish the kingship there, James and John say. And here we are. We come to this very first village, and they don't accept you. They reject you. Well, what's the king to do to that? And James and John say, let's, let's take them out. Let's call fire down from heaven. Let's establish, right. let's show your power right now. Let's begin to show who you are. We're on a march to become rulers. We're on a march to become king. If you're against us, we'll put you to death. Our mission, James and John seem to be saying, is glorious rule and righteous judgment. If they're not with us, they're against us, and they shall be put to death. And Jesus responds in a rebuke. I think he's saying, you don't know, James, you don't know, John, what my mission is. You don't see it. You don't hear it. You haven't understood it as I've tried to explain it to you. You don't understand my mission, Jesus is saying. And he's saying, you not only don't understand my mission, you don't understand your mission. 
You don't understand what it's going to mean for you as you walk down this road. You don't understand what it's going to mean for you in these next days and weeks and months and years. You don't understand what it's going to mean for you. You don't understand. You don't see your mission in this. In the last part of Luke chapter 9, Jesus begins to show them this is what it means for your mission. This is what it means. This is what your mission will entail. Verses 57 and 58, we read, as they're going along the road, someone says to them, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus says to him, foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus, I think, begins to show the disciples here that their mission, as they follow after him, is going to include hardships. Their mission is going to include hardships. Jesus says, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now we know that as Jesus shares this, that, that he previously has had a place to lay his head. He's, he's, he's stayed with Peter's mother at one point. In the future, in just a little bit, before he actually gets to Jerusalem, he's going to stay with, with Mary and Martha and, and Lazarus, his friends. He'll stay in their home. Jesus does have a place to lay his head. And so when he says this to the disciples, he must be saying to them, he must be trying to spell out to them, that you can expect that there's going to be hardships. You can expect that there's going to be things that are really, really difficult. In fact, as we've already talked about, Jesus is picturing this. He has his face set towards Jerusalem because he knows exactly what's coming. He knows exactly the unspeakable hardship and pain and cruelty and suffering that are coming. And Jesus sets an example for us in that. He takes an unspeakable, cruel beating and ultimately death on our behalf. Jesus knows exactly what hardship is going to look like. So much so again that he asked if there's any other way. If there's any other way. And we on our mission as followers of Christ should not expect anything less. Our mission includes hardship, and we should expect it. And I think we can say today, as we, as we think through this process, and we think through this plan and this mission that Jesus is on, we're on the backside of the cross, and, and we see all that has happened. I think we can say, yeah, we should give our life. Jesus gave his life. We should, we should give our lives as well. That we should, we should expect suffering. We could, we should, we should not, not be a, uh, uh, um, we should not be surprised when cruelty and suffering come our way. That's the mission that we're called to. That's the mission that we're on. And yet that's not exactly what Jesus says. He says foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I think part of what Jesus is saying here is not just that we can expect cruelty and suffering and unbelievable hard pain, but we can also expect 
discomfort and inconvenience. And that's really the rub for us, right? Because we might say, yeah, we, we'll give our lives. We'll, 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 we'll take it. We'll, we'll, we'll jump in front of the train. We'll take the bullet. We'll give our lives for Jesus. But when you start to talk about my soft pillow that I put my head on at night, when you start to talk about the blankets that I get covered up with at night, I, I, I might be going a little too far. It's not just hardship. It's discomfort. It's inconvenience. Many times it's the lack of soft pillows that can cause our own sin and our own selfishness to rise up and rear its ugly head. And I think Jesus is saying those are the places that we need to look at. Those are the places that I'm coming to to die for. Those are the things. Our mission is going to have hardships. Some is going to be suffering. Some is going to be beatings. Some is going to be crosses. And some is going to be that we do not have a place to lay our heads. He goes on. There's another man that comes. And Jesus says to him in verses 59 and 60, he says, follow me. And the man replies, Lord, Let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus says to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying our mission is going to have hardships. But then to the second man and to his disciples, I think, in the bigger picture, he's saying our mission, the mission that I'm on as I turn my face and set myself to Jerusalem, my mission has urgency. My mission has urgency to it. Because really, if you, if you take this picture, Jesus says, come and follow me. And, and, and the man says, I, I just, I need to go. My, my father's not well. He probably hasn't passed away at this point or the, or the man wouldn't have been there in that, in, on the road to, to follow after Jesus. It's probably just in his, in the end of his life, in his later years. And commentators say that this disciple is, is, is probably, or this man is, is, is probably not saying, you know, my, my father has just passed away. I, I need, you know, two days to go back and, and take care of the funeral. What he's saying to Jesus is, is this is the end. We don't know how long it's going to be. Maybe, maybe it's going to be a few days. Maybe it's going to be a, a few months. Maybe it's going to be up to a year. But I need to go. I need to, I need to care for my father. And that seems like a pretty noble thing. In fact, it's more than just noble we know one of the one of the Ten Commandments is that we are to honor our father and mother. And it seems like when someone says, this, I need to go, I need to take care of my father, he's at the end of his life, I, 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 I need to be there for him. That's one, of the, that's one of the places where we should honor our parents. That's one of the places where we, where we need to devote ourselves and, and spend our time and, and, and put our lives towards that end. So, so it seems right that this man would say, I need to take care of my father. Just let me, let me go, let, let, me, let me finish up that, and then I'll come, Jesus. Then I'll be a part of your team. Then I'll be one of your followers as we go to Jerusalem. In fact, K- 
caring for our loved ones at the, at the end of their life, it was such a big deal in that time that, that as the Pharisees went through all of their extra rules and laws that they made for people, they even exempted people who were, who were watching over their parents or watching over a loved one at the end of their life. There was, there were certain things that they didn't have to do, certain trips that they didn't have to make, cer- certain sacrifices that they did not have to be a part of because they were devoting their lives to caring for their loved one. This was a big deal. And Jesus says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. I think here that Jesus is telling this man specifically and even broader to his disciples and to us that there's an urgency to his mission. There's an urgency to his mission. And there's an urgency to ours. See, the problem with this man going back, we don't know exactly what would have happened, but it sure seems like it would be easy. It would be easy for me to get in that place and to take care of those needs and to, and to be involved and devoted to, to the Father and, and to get distracted. And maybe this passion would get, begin to fade and he would forget some of the things that he had learned. And it wouldn't be very long before his desire to follow after Christ would probably become a little more watered down and a little less intense and a little more distracted. Because that's the way we're wired. When it's not on our front burner, we begin to lose focus. And Jesus is saying, our mission has an urgency to it. Our mission has an urgency We have the words of life, but life is short and we need to go and share those words. Our mission has an urgency. And then there's a third instance that happens in this passage. Verses 61 and 62. Another one says, yet another says, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus says to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus again is saying to this specific man and to his disciples in general and to us, our mission, our mission must have focus. Our mission must have focus. This man, this disciple that comes and says, I'll follow you, Lord, but first, but first let me go and say farewell to those at my home. He doesn't want to stay for an extended period and, 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 and take care of his ailing father as the, next, as the last guy did. That's not his call. He just says, I just, I just, I just want to go home. I just, I just want to say goodbye. I just want to let them know that I'm following after you, that as you go towards Jerusalem, I'm going to be there with you. I just want to go home and say goodbye. And in fact, the commentators say he, he, he might have even been referring to to the call of, of Elisha, the prophet Elisha. When, if you know that story, Elijah is a prophet and, 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 and needs someone to come behind him and, and to take on part of his ministry. And so he, he's walking down the road and Elisha is plowing in a field. And Elijah knows immediately that's, that's the one. That's the one that God has called to come and to be with me. And so he goes to, Elijah, to Elisha and wraps his cloak around him. And Elisha knows as well that God has called him. 
into the ministry. And Elisha says to Elijah on that moment, let me go home. Let me go home and say goodbye to my family and then I'll go with you. And Elijah grants that request. Elisha does go home and say goodbye to his family. And so that, that maybe is even what's happening in this instant as, as, as this disciple comes and says, let me go home. Let me go home and say goodbye to my family, just like Elisha did when Elijah called him. And Jesus refers then to that story probably here as he replies. He says, no one who puts his hand to the plow. Remember, Elisha was plowing in the field when Elijah found him. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God, Jesus says. You have to have focus. Plowing forward while looking backward, I would think, I have not had that experience, but I would think makes for long and crooked rows. I don't have the experience of plowing, and and many of you have the experience of auto steer, so that makes it a little different than it did in Jesus' time. But I do have the experience of, of riding a bike, which I love to do, and when you turn your head to look back, you almost always go off the road. It takes a special gift to be able to look back and stay straight. Not many of us have it, I don't think. And that's the picture that Jesus is painting here. He says you can't, you can't look back. To plow right, to do the job correctly, to be on this mission. It takes focus, it takes strength, it takes dedication. You can't look back. You can't wonder what's going on behind you. He says to his disciples, our mission must have focus. We must have focus. He said it to those three specific men. I think he said it to his disciples as they're seeing this change, this swivel, this turn in Jesus' ministry. And I think he says it to us as well. Jesus' kingdom is not always what we expect it to be. When he sets his face towards Jerusalem, he's not going to set up a kingship. He's going to suffer and die. It's going to be a sacrifice. And the mission that he calls his disciples to is hardships and urgency and focus. The worship team is going to come and lead us here in just a moment in a song. We don't know in this first part of Luke when the sons of thunder, James and John, when they say, let's call fire down. Let, these guys have rejected you, Jesus. Let's call fire down and burn them up. Take them out of here. Let's get rid of them. Let's call fire from heaven and do it. I, we don't know what Jesus' rebuke was in that moment in verse 55 of Luke chapter 9. It doesn't tell us. It just says he rebuked them and they moved on to another place. But I like to think that maybe Jesus' rebuke to them was something like this. We're not going to call fire down from heaven, James and John. There's not going to be a fire of judgment that rains down from heaven and destroys all these people. Someday, ultimately, there will be a judgment. There will be fire that comes from heaven and there will be a judgment, but not now. And that's not what's coming next. I'd like to think that Jesus says in his rebuke to them, 
there's going to be a fire that comes from heaven. But it's not going to be a judgment fire that burns them up. There's going to be a fire that comes from heaven. And the first place it's going to be seen is dancing on the heads of people in the upper room. It's the fire of the Holy Spirit that comes and lives in those who trust and rest in me. That spirit, that fire that comes from heaven, it will be the power that strengthens all of those who join this mission. It will be the power that lives in all of those who follow after us. It will be, it will be the power to endure hardship. That fire that comes from heaven, the Holy Spirit that comes to live in believers, it will be the power to press on in urgency on this mission. That fire, that spirit that lives inside of us will be the power to have laser-like focus as you follow after me. I don't know if that's what Jesus said. He maybe didn't. But we know from the truth of Scripture that that is the next fire that comes down from heaven. After Jesus is crucified and raised from the dead, the disciples are gathered together and the Spirit comes on them and there's a wind and there's a fire that dances on their head and they are forever changed. And all of us this morning that believe in Jesus, all of us that are on this mission with him, all of us that look back to that cross knowing that our sin was covered in that moment, all of us have that same Spirit in us that gives us power to follow after Jesus on his mission. Our call this morning, as we enter into this, this week, this Passion Week, is that God's Spirit will fill us. That his Spirit will fill us so that we might see the mission of Jesus. That his Spirit might fill us so that we might rest in the faith of that promised Spirit that works inside of us. That we might reap the rewards of the death of Christ and our adoption as sons, that we might know the power of the resurrection of Jesus to grant life to dead souls, and that we might know the forgiveness that's found only in the blood of Christ. That's our hope this morning. That's our call. Worship team is going to lead us. We're going to sing together and rejoice in that. Will you stand with me today as we sing? By faith the prophets saw the day When the longed for Messiah would appear With the power to break the chains of sin and death And rise triumphant from the grave By faith the church was called to go in the power of the Spirit to the lost To deliver captives and to preach good news In every corner of the earth We will stand as children of the promise We will fix our lives
hearts on Him our souls reward. Till the grace is finished and the work is done. You'll walk by faith and not by By faith this mountain shall be moved, and the power of the gospel shall prevail. For we know in Christ all things are possible, for all who call upon His name. We will stand as children of the promise. Our eyes on Him, our soul's reward, till the race is finished and the work is done. We'll walk by faith and not by sight. We'll walk by faith and not by sight. God, our prayer this morning is that you will strengthen us with your spirit so that we might walk on this mission that you have called us to. Following in the mission that you called your son to. That he might die on our behalf. That he might suffer on our behalf. God, I pray that you will strengthen us for hardships. That you will give us urgency. That you will help us to have focus as we follow after you. We pray this this morning in your name. Amen.